Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Want to thank you so much for making your way here, checking out this podcast. If it's your first time or or maybe you've been here a few times but uh, haven't hit that subscribe button yet, I do hope you'll be inspired to do so at least now or before the end of the interview. Of course, you can find us at uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you like to get your pa- favorite podcast from. We'll give you three brand new interviews a week, one Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, an excellent way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music world. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today I'm going to be talking with Bob Mould. He's got a brand new record called Blue Hearts. So this interview was first recorded uh, video form uh, Instagram Live for Consequence of Sound's Instagram Live series, the Kyle Meredith Live series. And we got on to talk about, at that point, he had just released the first single to the new record. It's called American Crisis. And I wanted to hear about him writing that in 2018 and how it's all escalated, what he was writing about, how it's all escalated since then. Uh, We talk about Minneapolis. That's where uh, Husker Du came out of, seeing that town during the George Floyd era. Uh, as he talks about the diversity of the Minneapolis scene uh, as Husker Du was coming up. And in fact, we do a lot of that, comparing the 80s to now, the politics of what was happening during the Reagan era to now in the Trump era. Uh, Bob's going to tell you about struggling with uh, his future at that point as a gay man, how that all led to Zen Arcade, the seminal Husker Du record. Of course, we talk about the upcoming election and the importance of Biden winning, uh, the 2020 hurdles in the gay community, as he says, the Attention really needs to be put on helping trans people. He'll also tell us about the second single on uh, Blue Hearts called Forecast of Rain uh, that uh, touches on his religious upbringing in the Catholic Church, how he even went back later in life, uh, still searching, but of course uh, not finding what he was hoping. It's all of that and more discussing the record Blue Hearts, Kyle Meredith with Bob Mould. Thanks, Kyle. It's good to be here. Now, Bob, as I uh, understand, this is not uh, a new song that you have written. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's a new song release, but it wasn't written specifically for this exact moment that we're in, right? No, uh, American Crisis was uh, written in the group of songs that became Sunshine Rock. So, I think the last time I, I checked my notes, it was April of 2018 that I wrote American Crisis, and going back to my calendar, I would have been in Berlin. So. I think that's where that all came together. Um, yeah, we brought 
I brought the song to the band in May of 2018, May of 2018, when we recorded Sunshine Rock. And the idea with that album was to be a happy record, a little more optimistic after two darker records. And American Crisis was a little edgy for that record, so I shelved that and then picked up the Shocking Blue cover of Send Me a Postcard. They're pretty much the same key and the same tempo. And and it's funny because Send Me a Postcard was the, uh, I think that was the only like first take on the floor vocal that I had done on basic tracks. So anyways, uh, carrying forward to now, yeah, it's a two-year-old song. And just when I thought things were bad two years ago, here we are. That's sort of been the thing about everything is every single point we've said, well, it can't get any worse, you know, as if we hadn't watched enough movies in our lifetime to know to never, ever say that. Uh, that's that's sort of what we're being faced with with every day. I do find it interesting, and you and I got to talk a lot about Sunshine Rock, the material that you were writing from Germany looking at the U.S., and especially mm-hmm. as you were uh, coming back to the U.S., this definitely seems like, you know, even coming from your punk rock past, this seems like maybe one of the angriest, loudest, heaviest songs that I think you've ever written, at least in uh, in, in recent uh, recent times. Because, again, well, how we can hear this song right now, looking at the Trump administration, looking at what, um, especially the GOP side of Congress uh, are, are trying to push, just just looking what uh, you, you mentioned evangelicals in the uh, in the lyrics and everything, you know, how that's sized up and everything. What's changed, especially in that song from how you wrote it to, to where it's landing right now that, that you can see? Well, I mean, a lot of things have happened this year in 2020. A lot of things have happened in the last few months. I mean, you know, in Louisville with Breonna Taylor, Minneapolis, George Floyd, many, many things like that many tragedies like that over the past year have been brought to light. Many tragedies like that over the last 400 years have happened on our soil. A couple of years ago, it just seemed like, oh, you know, it's things are really bad. You know, it's this, you know, sort of, you know, charismatic, say anything television guy, you know, who somehow uh, snuck into the White House, not winning the popular vote, but winning the Electoral College and, you know, sort of enacting all of these, you know, regressive ideas, you know, taking us back to the 50s, I guess the 1850s. And, uh, you know, now there's a, you know, there's really no glass left to break. I think most of the emergencies are clearly in front of us now. Uh, You know, writing from Germany, you know, I think all all countries in the world, I think, you know, there's, you know, populism has been on the rise for a while. You know, in the Netherlands with Geert Wilders and France with Marine Le Pen. You know, you've got you've got Orban, you've got Duda in Poland, you've got Bolsonaro. I mean, you've got, a, you know, I mean, the cast of characters is great. You know, Johnson, you've got all these characters, you know, it's just it's really frightening how quickly these things can turn. And, you know, the song like American Crisis, those words fell out of my head and probably the amount of time it takes me to sing them. <laughs> and. uh yeah, I haven't written a song that pointed in years, but then again, things maybe haven't been that terribly bad in years and decades, maybe. And now the confluence of, you know, just, I mean, with coronavirus and, you know, the elections hopefully coming up, we've got a lot of, you know, we've got a lot of things on our plate, a lot of trouble right now in the country. So the, the, Whatever urgency the song had two years ago has only been amplified 100-fold in the last few months. And, and, and of course, for those who don't know, you know, when you go back to your early days, uh, speaking of Husker Du, I mean, you guys were a Minneapolis band. You brought up Minneapolis uh, with, with George Floyd there. And, and, again, you know, you're not in Minneapolis right now. I believe you're in San Francisco, right? San Francisco, yeah. Have you been in contact with people over there? I mean, what has that... You know, I, I know this is a bit of an obvious question. What has that been like, you know, as you're seeing that as your hometown? Um, it was tough. I mean, under any circumstances, terrible to see such a tragedy. To see 
Minneapolis in such unrest and to, you know, just have memories of, of, of going there in 1978 to be, you know, a kid who grew up in a, I grew up in a farm town in upstate New York, you know, 5,000 people, no people of color. I get an underprivileged scholarship to go to McAllister College, and I get there in September of 78, and I, on my dorm floor alone, it's, you know, people of all religions and, you know, ethnicities and beliefs and histories, and I had a lot of catching up to do really quick. In 1979, I was lucky enough to get a band going. The band was called Husker Du, and, you know, over the next decade, you know, that band, along with a lot of bands like The Replacements or Soul Asylum or Prince or, you know, Terry and Jimmy or, you know, all the, you know, uh, you know this just wide variety of, of musicians and artists in the Twin Cities, you know, we all congregated on a venue called First Avenue, and everybody shared the stage and everybody played equally. And, you know, I remember the Hamong resettlement in the late seventies, you know, the Somali resettlements later on. I mean, you know, Minnesota has been, you know, working on diversity for decades and then to see something like this happen. And I haven't been living there for a long time. I had to dig back in to the information, you know, looking at the police unions, which I think we're all finding out as, you know, sort of a, you know, that's, that's a really big problem right now. You know, you know, strong force police unions, excessive force on the street, uh, you know, connections to Trump, you know, just the general police state, the prison industrial complex. Uh, I know there are a lot of big topics to throw out at once. I guess I just felt terrible for the tragedy, and I felt really bad for Minnesota. I used to live a couple blocks from that precinct that burned, and, you know, watching footage, you know, and seeing things go by, oh, there's the old Husker Du studio, oh, there's Glamdahl Donuts, there's my friend's record store. You know, it's just sort of, I haven't had a jolt like that since 9-11, I guess, when I lived real close to the World Trade Center in, in lower Manhattan. So it's just... You know, just personally, that's how it was hitting me. I mean, if it took, you know, and, you know, I think in the, you know, in the wake of that, you know, again, all of us refocusing on Black Lives Matter, all you know, and now defund police and, you know, a lot of different social ideas that I think we need to address. You know, I mean, again, speaking on McAllister, one of the, you know, the, 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 I was just really grateful to get that scholarship and then ending up, you know, doing a lot of work in sociology and political science and economics and trying to build an urban studies major for myself before those kinds of things were standard jobs, I guess. So, I mean, I, I think I understand cities. I think I understand dynamics of cities. It's something that I, you know, again, had formal education in, you know, now I'm seeing a lot of things things, you know, these ideas of gentrification, you know, and I think, you know, I think in Louisville, you know, right now it's, (laughs) you know, again, I think as we're looking for, you know, as we're looking beyond redlining and gerrymandering and, you know, excessive police force, now we've come to gentrification. And these are all, you know, really big topics I think we need to, you know, we need to think about. And, you know, little old man, a little old two minute punk rock song, I barely scratched the surface. Yeah, but it, it, it is interesting how it uh, unfolds across the whole record. And, and I'll point out for anybody who hasn't followed the news, and of course I'm based here in Louisville, it was Sunday night, it came out that uh, that a gentrification project uh, was possibly the thing that led to the death of Breonna Taylor, uh, which has been sort of the eye-opening thing uh, it, lately, the eye-opening thing today, you know, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> to add along with all the rest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you've said a little bit about this record with uh, with Blue Hearts, and we're not just talking about American Crisis, but American Crisis definitely paints it that you are talking about the parallels uh, a lot of times between, I think, the years you said anyway was uh, 1984 and, and 2020. I, I think what we're basically talking about here is the Reagan years and the Trump years. Uh, that's super interesting because on one side of the pop culture um, uh, happenings, when we talk about what's happening out in the streets, uh, people taking to the streets, of course, we're referencing the 60s a lot of times. 
what you're getting out of here is a bit more focused, I guess, on the political side of things. Again, as we talk about Reagan, uh, what's uh, what I mean? OK, let's start this. What was obvious to you about what was happening to both times as you were coming up in the 80s? Um, well, I mean, I went to I went to school with young Republicans. I remember them on campus with their briefcases, and they are they were all you know very very well to do, and they were talking about Ronald Reagan and we're going to change the world. And sure enough, Reagan won. And you know, onward we went. Uh, you know, I remember coming to San Francisco in the summer of '81. It was you know I was 20 years old. Husker Du was touring. Well, we called it touring. I mean, we were pretty much homeless and in a van. And if we could get a phone number for a place to stay, we'd go to that town and hang out and maybe get a show or three or four, you know, if we were lucky. And, you know, I remember, you know, being not a closeted young gay man, but, you know, sort of self-hating, not fully understanding my sexuality and my being and my work and you know, where all those things intersect, um, much, you know, completely at peace with it now, but at 20, not being real certain of what my future was. And I remember being here when, you know, they made the, dis the discoveries with, you know, Kaposi sarcoma and, you know, PCP and gay men dying at an alarming rate in major cities, San Francisco and New York. And this thing called GRID that eventually got called AIDS. And, you know, over the course of time, you know, the Reagan administration just turned a blind eye to it. It was never mentioned. It was made fun of at, you know, press conferences. I think it was, you know, just I've seen a lot of a lot of footage from back then as if I don't remember it. But to, you know, refresh myself, I, you know, watch, you know, watch people talking and, uh, you know, it. it, it took our first, you know, sort of television movie star personality backed by evangelicals type president to, you know, what did it take him till 1985 to actually say the, the words, you know, after he'd lost friends, you know, people that were close to him. And, you know, that parallel with where we are now, you know, again, we're at the end of a first term of a television president who's got a lot of backing from the evangelicals. And it's sort of the sons of the fathers, I guess we could say, the Grahams and the Falwells. And it's the same, you know, a lot of the same cast of characters. You know, maybe we don't have as many hysterical, you know, made up crying women singing torch songs, you know, and stuff like that. But it's still, it's that very repressive agenda. You know, I guess now we call it a culture war. Back then I was just like, what the fuck are these people? Why are they doing this to me? What did I do? I'm just trying to live my life. Yeah, I mean, so you can see the parallels. And I guess as I started writing music for Blue Hearts, you know, in the fall of last year, I was in Berlin playing a lot of guitar. I came back to San Francisco in late November. And then, you know, America is just, we're constantly, you know, it's a constant barrage of information, televisions, media, everything all the time. And you know, in, in Berlin, I was aware of what was happening, but when you're back in it and living in it, it resonates, you know, you know, a lot heavier. And a lot of the words for this record came out and I was putting myself sort of back in the place that I was at the end of 1983, you know, thinking about being in a band, being on tour, not really having a place to live, you know, dependent on the kindness of others making these records and just touring and going door to door and trying to tell these stories. And I remember the lead up to Zen Arcade having all this very angry music and being really confused about my sexuality and just writing all these words in the back of a van over you know, a weekend, sharing it with the other guys and starting to make this concept record. And, you know, anyways, you get the idea. It's just everything felt when I looked back, I was like, my God, that's who I was. And it feels the same now. And what were my, what was my skill set then? What, what were the tools that I had to work with then? You know, and I had a voice and a guitar and an amp and not much else. So I set out to not emulate, but just to recall that kind of feeling, you know, to sort of put 1984 and 2020 next to each other and just say, wow, it's really starting to, to line up, and I and I guess the sad, the sad conclusion, in a sense, to this long-winded explanation is that you know now we have a pandemic.
and we have Tony Fauci on television again. And I'm just like, you can't, you know, not to, not to diminish anything. This is just me personally going, you can't make this stuff up. You just cannot make this stuff up. And now six months into absolute and complete chaos and total inefficiency and inaction by this government, I, I, I'm some, you know, I'm clearly not at a loss for words, but I just, I'm just like at a completely lost faith in this, in this, in this, you know, I never had any faith in these people that are running the country now. And, and I have, I have, I have none, none at all now. So as you look to November, do you have, I mean, we were talking obviously Trump versus Biden, but I think a lot of people are really curious about, you know, that, uh, that VP pick, because as Biden said, he might be the one term president. So maybe who we're really voting for here is the vice president. Do you have the person that uh, that you would prefer to see in there? I th- I think this is a I think this is you vote for America or you vote for for Trump. I mean it it you know I mean Joe Biden clearly has all the experience in the world. He's been a world leader. He's been he's been a uh, an emissary for this country most of his life. I think he knows most of the leaders of the world. If anybody can try to go to the rest of the civilized world and and ask forgiveness and try to rebuild things in a in a better way in, in terms of America and the rest of the world, you know, I think Joe Biden is really good. Um, I think. I think the fact that he is committed to having a woman as vice president is a smart move. People are, are talking about women of color. I mean, obviously, have a lot of experience here with Kamala Harris, you know, Stacey Abrams. I mean, there's, there's, you know, many great people. I, I was very excited about Pete Buttigieg, you know, being a gay man, just seeing somebody at his age with military experience and just such a good thinker, such a you know, a good, a good person. You know, I, I think there's, I think, you know, Bernie Sanders has got a lot of good qualities. Elizabeth Warren. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good people on, you know, you know, representing the Democrats now. And and I think it's really up to Biden to sort of maybe one thing that I'd like to see is for him, once he's made his vice presidential choice is to then start letting us know who will be taking all of these key positions because one of the things that we learned, you know, when you just say drain the swamp and destroy politics, you create a vacuum that can easily be filled by your billionaire friends that really don't know anything about politics and not much about life and really nothing about the real world. So for me, it would be nice if Biden would identify the key figures in the administration before we get to November, because then we can have a true compare and contrast. No, I, I agree. I, I've said before that the smartest thing anybody on that debate stage when we still had, you know, a handful of them to say was that uh, if I win, this is my cabinet, you know, because it, it, I thought it was a great lineup. And I'm glad you brought it, Pete, because, you know, I'll tie that back around to what we were saying in those comparisons between the early 80s and, and 2020, because, you know, for, for Pete to be a gay man and that only to be a blip of the conversation, I mean, that feels like one of the biggest differences uh, from your point of view you know, it's, it's, it's much, much less taboo if it's taboo at all to be gay anymore in, in popular culture, uh, which, you know, uh, I, obviously I'm saying this as a straight man, uh, seems like a humongous accomplishment. Like, you know, at least some version of the dream must've been realized. What are the hurdles then? What are the hurdles in the gay community at this point, as we just come out of pride month, which is still a very, very important conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it really, I mean, right now, the key issue is the trans community, you know, and trans people of color. I mean, you know, historically, you know, trans people of color were, you know, there for the for the LGBTQ community at the very beginning, you know, the Comptons or Stonewall or any, you know, any of the major, the major turning points in American gay culture. You know, my experience as a gay man, you know, being marginalized, being told I'm less than, you know, that's my personal story. I can, I cannot apply that story to others. But as we all move forward with our grievances, which are the grievances of the American people and not of the leader of the American people, we will find intersections and we will find commonality. And that's where we, you know, hopefully as, you know, as a democracy, as America, 
we identify those intersections and we move forward with those in mind. That's, I think that's the goal right now, you know, specifically for the gay community. I mean, the Supreme Court ruling, you know, giving equal rights was great. I mean, that's, a, you know, that's a big move. Um, you know, I've had these conversations with people before. I remember having a, a long sort of a, a by mail correspondence with Margaret Cho. And it was right around the time that a lot of gay progress had been made. And she was very celebratory. And I just said, Margaret, not to be a downer, but this whole thing is always a pendulum. It goes back and forth. And no change is perfect. No change is permanent. No victory is guaranteed forever. And, you know, forces will come and try to undo all the progress that's been made, you know, whether it was during the second Obama administration or before that, you know, I used to do a lot of work with servicemen's legal defense network, you know, around the end, don't ask, don't tell stuff like that. You know, I did a lot of, a lot of work with Evan Wolfson, uh, Evan Wolfson with uh, freedom to marry. So, I mean, I've been fairly engaged, but right now the, 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 you know, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's gay youth at risk. I think it's trans people of color. I mean, oh my God, what was there? Has there been like six or seven, you know, trans murders in the last month, you know, during pride month? It's, I mean, that's where the focus needs to go. I mean, my, you know, I'm an old white gay guy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm represented, you know, I'm modern family will be in syndication forever. <laughs> it's, you know. I don't know. Is it too soon to have any kind, any kind of humor? I'm, I feel so bad even making jokes about anything. But um, yeah, it's. I think, you know, for me, I felt like a lot of progress has been made. I worry about kids. I worry about people of color. I really worry about the trans community, and that's where we need to put our energy as we move forward. Uh, I'm at least very hopeful that, uh, you know, because. For all of my disdain for the social media world, it seems like it is pushing the conversations a lot faster than they used to yeah. go. Uh, and I do see that out there. The fact that this is in the conversation, and it is a big part of the conversation right now, you know, in, in what seems like, you know, we're, I mean, I'm, I'm learning new terms every day. I'm, you know, my lexicon is expanding every single day at a rate that I've never uh, at least been aware of, at least. And I, I think that's even at the tiniest, you know, uh, magnification, a very promising thing. Yeah. And, 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 and I feel the same way again, again, being older than the, the people who are about to affect the change that we need, you know, again, it's, it's, it's always a battle to keep up with terminology and to keep up with how people self-identify. And, you know, I'm, you know, at, at my age, I'm always afraid I'm going to slip up and say the wrong thing. So forgive me if I do, but I'm trying to learn and listen, you know, as you are. And, you know, again, with, with the LGBTQ community, with Black Lives Matter, I mean, there's, you know, the language and the discourse, it's, you know, again, because of social media, it's instant. You know, what was a, what was an acceptable term last week is now we, we don't say that anymore. And it's like, whoa, okay, I get, I'm trying to keep up. I'm, I think I'm a good person. I'm trying to do the right thing. <laughs> you know? I think that's the important yeah. thing right there. Yeah, it's it's knowing some, I, I don't know who said this, and, and probably plenty of people have said this. It's it's knowing that you're occasionally going to say the wrong thing and being very okay and upfront with rolling with the change immediately. And I, I think, yeah. you know, we cannot be afraid of that. That's We have to be ready for that, you know, that that's going to happen. Uh, this all, I guess, expands more on the record, Blue Hearts. I mean, I th this seems to be the, the running theme of the rest of the record. Is that what we can expect? Um, yeah. Uh, generally speaking, the record starts pretty hot with politics. I mean, I come right out of the gate. It's a start with a, you know, sort of downbeat acoustic song that, you know, lays out some of the issues. And then, you know, the next couple songs are very fiery. There's a there's a song called Forecast of Rain that's you know going to be an important track. It really gets deep into me and religion, you know, and and you know I'll sort of I'll sort of preempt the conversation that I know will come when people hear the song a little bit. You know, I you know, I went to I went to church every Sunday. You know, I went to I went to Catholic school once a week. I was confirmed, and you know that's where I left. Catholicism for for the time, you know, in 
in my 40s in the aughts when I was living in Washington, D.C., I went back to the Catholic Church for three years and tried to find the message. I tried to find a place, and unfortunately, I could not find a place for myself. Um, I can't say I'm an expert on religion. I can't quote scripture, but then again, lots of people can't. <laughs> um, it, I understand religion has a place and it has, it has, it has an important place for a lot of people. It, it's about community and it's, you know, it's a, it's just about gathering and trying to build a better world and trying to, you know, trying to live sort of in the, in the norms of society. Not all of those norms work for me. Many of them do. And I carry that with me every day. I think we all do as, as, you know, up, you know, sort of upright citizens. It's, um, I do have problems when, you know, again, the Grams and the Falwells and the Evangelicals, by and large, have no problem throwing unconditional support behind Trump, who is a racist and a liar. And I could keep checking the list off, but I, that is not the way I learned religion. And that does not look like the religion that, that I have an appreciation for. So having said that, yeah, that song is, is uh, the forecast of rain is a, is going to be a real, a real fiery song. There's another song called uh, password to my soul, which is sort of the, the wrap up of the record, you know, and then there's a, an epilogue song that follows that. But, you know, again, it's, yeah, most of the record is, is very political. There's a lot of, a lot of sort of strong takes on social media, you know, and privacy and being tracked. You know, I try to do it in tongue-in-cheek ways. You know, there's a, there's a few a few bad relationship songs, but you know, I think all in all, it's fairly it's pretty much a protest protest record. In you know, I guess in in the in the sense that I learned what protest records were in the '60s, so as a kid, so an album for our times. Uh, I, as a as a former altar boy, I can appreciate uh, where you're coming from on all of that as well. Uh, yes. When I left at 13, uh, Bob Mold, thank you so much for joining me uh, again on this edition of Kyle Meredith Live. I want to point out again, Blue Hearts comes out September 25th. I got that date right. Yep. That'll be out here. I'm looking so forward to this record. You know, I love what you do. So thank you for continuing to do that and being a voice in these times as well. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for giving me the platform. And, um, you know, for anybody else in my position, if you have a voice, this would be a good time to use it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Remember, the uh, series runs every Tuesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. right here on the Consequence of Sound Instagram. You can also find me 6 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday at WFPK.org. Thank you all so much for watching and joining us. And, Bob, thank you so much again. Thanks, Kyle. Bye-bye. Bob Mould talking about the record Blue Hearts. Again, you can find the video version of that on the Consequence of Sound Instagram as well as uh, on YouTube just by searching Kyle Meredith with. Now, it was just back in 2018 on Bob's uh, last album, Sunshine Rock, that we caught up in a very different conversation. Uh, that uh, album, with its positive outlook and sound, we got to talk about him living in Berlin and how that has affected his life at that point. Of course, plenty more politics and the uh, upcoming 40th anniversary plans for Husker Du, part two of Kyle Meredith with Bob Mould. How you doing? I'm enjoying the hell out of Sunshine Rock anyway. I, I heard you uh, in, in the past say you tend to make either a light record or a dark record, and I guess this is the light record, right? Um, yeah, I think so. You know, with uh, you know, with the last couple of records being a little heavier than normal in tone, I've tried to you know tried to stay focused on on the brightness, on the sunshine this time, and I know. It might seem a little contrary given the, the state of the world these days, but, um, you know, I just you know, really try to make a point to, you know, try to add, add more melody, add a little bit of optimism, you know, as much optimism as, as I'm allowed to, to add to my records. So, you know, I'm real, real happy with the way this one turned out. And, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a cool record. It's a bright record. The, the, the album packaging is, is fairly bright, and it's a, it's a nice change. Well, you've got, I mean, Sunshine Rock, Sunny Love Song, Camp Sunshine, just three songs uh, titles right there that kind oh, of West, uh, and Western Sunset. The oh, closer. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's um. I mean, you, you kind of said that you know, you know, despite what's happening in the world today, and, and I, I wondered that like. Do you make the decision to make sort of, I'm going to say, a happy album? Is, is that regardless of what your actual feelings or, or the honest reflection of whatever might be going in your life may be? 
Well, you know, as I alluded to with the last two records with Beauty and Ruin and Patch the Sky both being, um, you know, a little more somber than normal, um, you know, that was, you know, due to, you know, losing both parents in, in succession. And, you know, as we all get older, we experience a lot of loss. And Lord knows there's been more since then. But, you know, for me, it's a con- it was a very conscious effort. It was almost as if I was putting post-it notes around the house, around the apartment saying, Try to think a little brighter. Don't let everything overwhelm you all the time. And yeah, I mean, with the you know the political climate can be very overwhelming. I you know I find personally the days that I don't wake up and go right to the news are usually my best days. You know, it's it's the days where I wake up and I read a book about you know the making of Blue by Joni Mitchell, or you know I read a Beatles you know anthology book, or you know it's try to stay away from that stuff that really takes us down, especially at the beginning of a day. So, you know, it's just little things like that, little life maneuvers that, you know, they come to me, I guess. So that's, yeah. So it's, it's, it's sort of writing forcefully with towards the optimism. And it's not to say that there are not dark moments on the record. There certainly are, but trying to illuminate things more. Well, I mean, uh, I'll bring up the, the, the song I fought. I mean, there's still some, there's a raging fire. It sounds like going on uh, on that song, especially. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a that was a pretty much a live one take vocal on the floor. There wasn't a, wasn't a lot of looking back after that vocal. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I tried it tried it four times, and I was like, "Oh, that's good. We have four to work with. You want the barbed wire? You want the broken glass? You want the set on fire? You want the thrown out of an airplane?" <laughs> 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 that's your choices that's your choices those are the choices so and there's no comping so if we <laughs> pick your poison but right. yeah yeah there's you know there's a lot, a lot a lot of stuff going on a lot of stuff going on this might work in that as well because uh you know i'm, I'm calling you you're in berlin right now and this is where you've been living living for the past couple of years right yeah i've been bouncing back and forth between san francisco and berlin but mostly you know mostly berlin i'm just wrapping up the first two years on my uh on my residence permit and hopefully we'll get to stay might not be able to still working on that with the government but you know it's been uh it's been a great experience it's a city that you know i remember before the wall came down and you know certainly after um i have a lot of friends here it's a really vibrant amazing city with a lot of history it's been a real life changer for me just a real eye-opener you know again in these times and not to get too political but you know for a couple of years now it's been it's just been really tough and really sad to watch you know, our government beating up on, you know, America's closest friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just really strange. And, and, you know, beating, you know, beating up a country, you know, and, you know, sort of pointing at them, you know, he's socialist, you know, and this, you know, these whole ideas, these exaggerated notions that, you know, socialism is, is evil and will end up like Venezuela. It's like, well, you know, I live in a social capitalist country and, you know, things are, things work pretty well over here. It's just been really educational and, you know, I know a lot of people are fortunate when they're in university or college, they get to do their year abroad. And for me, this has been sort of a almost three years abroad. And you know, it's just been you know, real, a real eye opener. You know, really, uh, you know, it's a lot of uh, I've got a lot of great friends here. It's a lot of great art and culture and music. And, you know, I also love San Francisco. You know, it's not to, you know, not to say that, that America doesn't have wonderful, great things. But, uh, yeah, I just wish people would stop spreading lies about other countries. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, when we've got when we've got a fella in charge who's you know he's apologizing for all the all the bad guys suddenly and and knocking all all the good folks out there. I mean, um, did you go to Berlin specifically to get away? Like, I know you can never escape what's happening in politics wherever you are in the world. But but at least to, you know for the change of scenery and and the people that surround you and everything is that one of the reasons that took you to Berlin, or, or were you just looking for a change of scenery anyway? You know, I'm pretty nomadic by nature. I mean, anybody who you know, anybody who's read the you know read the book on me, whether it's the autobiography or you know whatever, that I you know tend to move around a lot. I, you know, it's the beauty of my work and my profession that I can live anywhere. You know, I'd been in San Francisco, I think, about seven years, and just well, I was there for about six years, and I'm still there. But I mean, I've been there full time for six years, and just really wanted to change. After you know, after Patch the Sky at the end of 2016, I knew that I was going to have a couple years of free time, and it, and it was the perfect opportunity to you know do something different. So that was the you know that was that was what precipitated the move. You know, I got set up over here right before the election. 
you know, officially set up here right before the election. So it's, I don't think it was because of the election, but it was weird that it worked out that way. Yeah. Because I, I was, I was convinced that the election was not going to go the direction it did. <laughs> I was actually in New York City. I had an off night during the election, and it was just, you know, the next morning was just frightening. So right. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's obviously had a strong impression on you. I think I read even that uh, the artwork even has a hat tip to Germany as well. Well, a, li- a little bit. I mean, the, the you know, the cover has, you know, sort of that, you know, that swirl, you know, yin-yang, whatever people like to call that. You know, I mean, I, I, I remember as a kid seeing, you know, a couple different record labels that use those designs. So there's a, you know, a tip to that, you know, pulling the colors, you know, off the flag. Yeah, there's a tip to that. So, yeah, it's, um yeah, it's got a couple different things going on there. It's, it's, it's pretty iconic and, and pretty cool. And, uh. It's a fun cover. Well, I think the other interesting part about the album that it sounds like you've been excited about, too, is you're working with an orchestra this time around, which which I don't think we've heard you do like this before. You know, I've always, you know, again, going back to, you know, being a small child in the 60s and, you know, listening to all those great, you know, great pop songs that had those, you know, lush strings, you know, whether it was, you know, all the Al Delory strings on Glenn Campbell stuff, you know, there's the things that Spectre was doing, you know, obviously George Martin for the Beatles, you know, I, as a as a kid, those left such a deep impression on me. You know, in, in 1989, when I put out Workbook, my first solo record, you know, you was writing cello parts. You know, I had a couple different cello parts on that record. And, you know, went back to cello, you know, occasionally over the over the years. But to build it out to an 18-piece string orchestra was, was really, really fun. Um, you know, I used the Prague Television Orchestra. They... They were great to work with. Um, I had a friend in Chicago that helped me with the transcriptions, you know, getting everything in the proper clefs. And then we had another another fellow who does a lot of strings for for other musicians, took a last look at the charts. And then we sent all the basic tracks to Prague and you know, basically took them a day to get all the strings for, for five songs laid out. And it was just, it was really, really great to, you know, to be just a really fun experience. And now that I've done it, you know, I fear that I'm like, what will I do without my strings now? <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 a bright record, but it is still a heavy record. And to put strings on it, I mean, it, it works so well because it's all packed in there. You know, it doesn't feel out of place or whatever these strings. And when when you when you decide that the strings are going to be there, I mean, do you have to alter the way the songs are, or do you find a way to put the strings to the songs in the way they exist already? Um, a lot of simplistic parts, simplistic melody parts, were inherent in the writing. When I built them out to be string arrangements, you know, that would be a moment where, okay, guitar solo steps back, drums straighten out, bass takes foundation parts instead of melodic parts. You know, it's just clearing space for the strings, really. Anytime they show up, you know, get rid of one or two other things. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, and, and the, you know, this, I think all the styles of arrangement, I mean, the song Sunshine Rock has the, you know, that classic 60s West Coast pop ascendant string you know arrangement at the end if you look at a song like lost fates you know it's darker more of the you know more european eastern european sort of you know melancholic strings but then when it gets to the chorus then it's like the, you know the sort of that specter kind of you know just punching the chord changes home it's yeah really really neat to really need to work with all the different you know all the all those different approaches with the strings and as with all that in mind is that is that how a cover ended up on the record because it's sort of from the era it's a 60s cover Oh, uh, send me a postcard. Yeah, it's a Dutch group called Shocking Blue. Uh-huh. I, I have a feeling more people have heard that song than they know. You know, like people are probably like, I don't know that, but you probably do. And it's just one of those songs that I've, you know, heard and loved as a kid. And it stuck with me over the years. And, you know, typically when when I'm making an album, I like to have a song that we use as a, you know, sort of a warm-up tool at times you know, to set levels or do, you know, get vocal mics up and running. So with this album, Send Me a Postcard was that song because, you know, you can sort of mess with things and it's, you know, it's a cover and it's not as valuable as an original or so I think. So it's like, eh, so, you know, we're, we're not going to burn up any, you know, emotional collateral by doing it. So we did, the, we did the basic for it. And then I just said, let me take a shot at singing this. And it was the first time that I had sung anything in the studio for this record. And we just put up a vocal mic and I just lit into it. You know, and again, that was the first take vocal. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, that's fun. I don't even really know all these words, but this is great. And 
you know, Jason and John and my engineer, Bo, you know, they were just in the other room like, you know, holy crap, that was insane. And, you know, then people started coming around the studio over the next couple of days just to hear, you know, management or whoever to hear progress. And it was the only song that had vocals. So that was all we could really play them. So, <laughs> so it just became this sort of instant favorite. And as I got to the end of the process of making the album, you know, the 10 and 11 spot on the 12 song album, the, you know, 10 and 11 were always sort of in flux. I had other songs slotted in there, but they were pretty dark and they were pretty heavy. And I think it might have changed the whole tone of the album had I gone with those. So, you know, I quick wrote Camp Sunshine and, uh, you know, I actually did that on the last day of the sessions and then uh, sent me a postcard. I just looked at it and was like, oh, this is perfect. Let's put that at 11. And it, and it went perfectly into Western Sunset and made for a much more pleasing album close. Yeah, no, it works. So it's just, yeah, that's probably... Probably too much information for how people make, you know, I, I make albums the old-fashioned way, right? But, you know, I really consider sequence and, you know, story and how you get to the end. So, yeah, that's that's, that's how all that happened. Yeah, that's what makes it a great album. A- an album, you know, and I'll emphasize that right there. You know, it's it's what makes it the fun listen from start to instead of just a collection of singles, I guess. Yeah, thanks for making that distinction. And and you know, as sort of a as sort of a like you know, long time artist, I guess, it's been really encouraging the past couple of years for me to see some of the younger artists, you know, like Janelle Monet, for instance, who really values the the idea of the album as a storytelling device. It's it's funny because a few years ago it seemed like it was very far in the other direction where very much single driven, song driven, you know, of the moment driven. And now it feels like people are really trying to create narratives for their albums, and I think it makes the craft stronger all the way around. So I'm I'm happy you mentioned that, and I'm happy to see other people do it too. Yeah, well, when you've got a younger generation embracing, as we've heard, you know, for the past decade, embracing vinyl in the way they have, and, and, and even as we go more into a streaming society, which... You know, I, I like all forms. However I can get music, I'll take it. You know, I like to have fun with it all. But mm-hmm. uh, but when it comes down to it, I also like to hit play and go on the adventure. You know, I, I appreciate when an artist kind of puts that in. So, you know, thank you for, for keeping, for waving that flag and keeping that flame alive. Yay, yay. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, next year marks 40 years in the business for you. I, I know you're going to be out there promoting a new record, but does that celebration mean anything? Will there be any, you know, kind of uh, a big to-do with something like that? Yeah, I know it's coming. I'm, you know, I'm since, you know, I'm always aware of anniversaries. It's it's sort of crazy and weird. And I think, you know, in light of how busy this decade has been, you know, with the book and the documentary and three and three albums and, you know, a 33 and a third book about workbook, it's been, you know, just an incredible, you know, sort of an embarrassment of riches. Is that what they say with it? Right. With that, is that the is that the, an embarrassment of artistic riches, at least for me, and to be able to make a lot of work and, and stay super busy for people. But yeah, there's 40. It's there. We'll come up with something special, I'm sure. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it. Congratulations again on Sunshine Rock. I, I've really had a lot of fun listening to it. Uh, it. It's another great one. It really is. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for the support. I appreciate it. Anytime, Bob. Take care. Bob Mould talking about 2018 Sunshine Rock. I want to include one more interview here that uh, Bob and I did. Uh, this one goes back to 2013. In fact, we did this one as a video interview backstage at the Forecastle Festival right here in uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and, and Bob was in the middle of a, a, a pretty cool little, as I said at the time, a resurrection, a resurgence. Uh, that started with him writing his autobiography. Then he had put together his first power trio since his 90 days. Uh, it all resulted in the completely fun album, The Silver Age. And, uh, and and that's what we got to talk about here. So part three of Kyle Meredith with Bob Mould. Kyle Meredith with the Weekly Feed. I'm sitting next to Bob Mould here at Forecastle 2013. Hey, here we got the ducks and everything. I so. know. Do you see the sun? There's a sign out of sight that says, no parking on war, cars will be launched. Yeah, we tried to make it pretty for so you. It you is a, it's a nice setup. We built this all set just for you. Cool. Hey, uh, thanks for uh, joining us down here. Absolutely. You've got this um, killer new record uh, called Silver Age. Yeah. Uh, you, you got like just came in with a lot of fire on this one. Yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good heat on this. Yeah, like Bob found some angst again. Um. Well, Bob got a lot of stuff out of his system and found and got some uh, unexpected love, I guess. Yeah. Um. From the fall of 08 until the summer of 2011, I was working on my autobiography. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, put that out. So got a lot of a lot of stories out there for people to take in. A lot of a lot of questions that haven't been answered. A lot of I'm sure there's a lot of new questions I'll have to answer. But uh, it was good to tell. Good, yeah, that's usually what happens. What do you mean by that? Yeah. What yeah, do you yeah. mean by that? You buried the body. Well, at least it gives you something new to talk about. Though. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a different part of the conversation. Yeah. So so that was that was one thing. And then uh, you know I hadn't been writing music during that whole three years. Yeah. So. 2012 was coming. I knew that the Sugar Copper Blue 20th anniversary stuff was coming. And, uh, you know, alongside all that, I was doing a lot of stuff with the Foo Fighters. You know, Dave Grohl right. had asked right. me to work on their most recent record. Went out and played some shows with them. So, uh, you know, it was a combination of things. You know, sure. hanging out with a rock band. Kind of puts it in you. Seeing the Sugar thing yeah. coming. A lot of love. Wrote a record real quick, it's called Silver Age, came yeah. out last September, and here we are. We're going to be playing a lot of it tonight. That's the thing about it. I, I guess when I you know, hear the record, the first thing I think, and, and this isn't one of those like, oh, you're in your upper years of rock or everything, but it seems like, you know, generally, generically, you, you get an artist who starts at a certain point, and as the, you know, the years go by, it becomes less and less angsty, but you know, you've I guess found a way to connect with that or uh, something. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I appreciate, I, you know, angsty is, is good. I, I wasn't thinking angsty when I wrote it. I was sure. just sort of throwing shit around. <laughs> and that, maybe it landed there. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I think I was feeling particularly lovely on this yeah. record. You get to do that. Well, I mean, this, you, is what, this is what my love sounds like, folks. You <laughs> ought to see my hate. Well, see, you could have written any kind of record, though, I guess, at this point, because you've done so many different styles. Well, I, I, did, I did a couple dad records yeah. already, so it's, sure. it's cool, you know I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> oh, dad records. <laughs> you kind of came out of the box on a solo record, a bit more dad than, you than get, this one. You get, yeah. it ha you know, I mean, it, it happens, you know, right before, backwards. Right, before the, uh, right before I sat down to work on the book, the record that I put out in uh, life called Life and Times was very, you know, down and more introspective. You know, this one was just, you know, sort of piss and vinegar. And, you know, and also, you know, Jason and John, my rhythm section, we've been playing together for five years now and, and we have a sound and it's easier for me to envision what songs will sound like with those guys. So, you know, sort of writing to the strong suit as well. Well, when you're writing like this, and, you know, we'll, we'll call them pop songs. Yes. You know, because in rock totally. and roll, you kind of have it's a pop. few different things. So it's pop song. You know, I mean, how hard is it just to write a pop song these days? And I guess what I'm referencing is the lead singer at XCC recently, somebody asked him, he's like, you know, why aren't you doing it? He's like, you know, it's, it's so much harder. I just can't pump pop songs anymore. Just can't pump them out. But you seem to have no problem just saying, oh, this is totally going to work and it's going to sound great and people are going to love this. Well, Andy's a great writer. I can't speak for his system, but, you know, my own system, you know, a record like Silver Age, I, I could sit down and pretend to write a, I could write a pretend record mm -hmm. like that, but fortunately when I sat down to write this one, I really was feeling it, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's what comes through. You know, I think sometimes people write records, they go, oh, maybe I should write this kind of record now, and it sounds like they aren't really meaning it. Yeah, yeah. It, it happens, I mean, especially if you're fortunate enough, like Andy or myself, to write for decades. Right. You, sometimes you, you write one and you're like, well, I thought that's what I wanted to do, but it really wasn't quite <laughs> there. Yeah. So, so maybe so, waiting it out even plays a part in it, like if you can take your time. It's good serendipity, good timing, sure. all that stuff. It, it's, it's, a, it's a black science. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you hope for the best. Some, some of the songs, it took exactly as long as it took you to hear them for me to write them. Some of them take weeks. Some, incredible. Some take months. You know, you sit there looking for that last line or the first line, and then, yeah. yeah I think that's been stuff. a question of how some artists can have this really productive part of their career and never be able to make that connection again and then some artists uh, yourself uh, Joe Strummer was a great example of that like never lost that connection you know yep. was able to kind of keep going the entire yeah. time like yeah, why like, does that work for some people yeah know? Joe was Joe's in a he's in a special league but yeah, yeah it um yeah, you never know. It's it's life, you know. It's the people that are around you. Right. It's the places that you spend your life, and you know all that. All that. It's it's pretty pretty mysterious. Just good to have your eyes open. Sir. That's the main thing. Well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned your book and everything, the autobiography. I, I know there's some artists that kind of have a problem with looking back. They never want to do that, but but you kind of went there. You said, you know, I am going to do it. I'm going to get into it, and this is the whole past. Yeah. Well, I had a standing offer from Little Brown, the publisher. They had they had reached out to me in, in 2001. And at that time I was 40 years old and I hadn't really, you know, I was just like, write my autobiography now. Um, so, you know, waited until 08 when it seemed like the time was right. Yeah. There was, there was a, there was, you know, stories to tell. 
Um, I appreciate people who don't want to look back. I'm, yeah. you know, having done it, I'm happy not to look back sure. anymore. Yeah. And it's given me a lot of energy to look forward. But yeah, I, I totally hear that. You know, I, I thought about that a lot when I went into it. So. Yeah. And I guess that's a problem though, when you have that long of a career, when you're, you're part, I mean, you're part of two famous bands, yep. you know? And so it's it's like you're always connected. You're always riding that train. That was a Richie Havens quote about Woodstock. Yeah. He's always going to ride that train. Yep. You know? and, yeah. And sure. does that become a problem? Because, you know, Silver Age is a great record that can stand on its own. But when the reviews come out, you're definitely going to hear something about Cop Blue. And you're going to hear something about Zen Arcade. You're going to hear something about that. It's a high-end problem. Well, sure. Sure, it is a high-end <laughs> high problem. problem. But, you know, is there any part where that just became, you've got to be so defined over that to say, listen, this is this record. It's not to be, I don't. I couldn't give a rat's ass anymore. Not anymore. See, either people like it or they don't. Yeah. I like it. It's cool by me. Yeah. yeah, I've let go of that. Like I said, jokingly, but seriously, it's a, it's a, it's a great problem to have. Yeah, sure. Great problem. To and have. what about the unflattering parts of the book? Because you kind of gave it your all. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean not, that's another thing. You know, artists who write their books, they're going to tell the exciting stories and the salacious stories. But to kind of give your entire self over to the art to say, no, this, this is the whole story. Well, what I was trying to do with the book, and I think I. And I think I did it, judging by the reactions of some people, is I tried as best I could to show people how I was in the moment. Because uh -huh. there's moments where in the book I look at it and I'm just like, what a f asshole. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, and those, right. and truly those were the moments where my mind wasn't always right. Yeah. You know, there's times in 93 when I was a little out of my head. There was times in 83, 4, 5 when I was pretty dour, yeah. you know, that's I think the, the right word for that. So yeah, I mean I think the book shows it really well, I mean there was moments in 04, 05 where I felt real vulnerable and stupid, and there it is. So know? do you think it adds to the mythology or takes away? I mean I'm talking about the mythology of rock and roll as the rock star, you know, as, as that goes. Ah, it's, it's, this is what we do with our lives. Sure. I, I, don't, I mean I love reading that mythology in other people's books, uh -huh. I didn't have a lot of it in mine because it yeah. really wasn't there. I'm pretty much a meat and potatoes guy, yeah. so it's not... Well, I always kind of wonder about that, because when you're writing the autobiography, sure, you're taking care of a lot of the hardcore fans and everything, but are you also looking at, like, yeah, I've got a legacy at some point, you know? Well, you want to... You I think the biggest thing with writing a book is to, is to not tell stories about other people that you wouldn't want told about yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just as a courtesy, I sure. think that, you know, sure. you, don't, you don't try to tell other people's stories, you just try to show people your, your story and... That's what you, you know. That's what they get. This, this might keep you entirely away from this question at all. That what you just said, mm -hmm. but you know, after all the years, uh, after this could do and, and everything else that came afterwards, and all of these artists who say, "Yeah, Bob Mould was a huge influence on uh -huh. me." You ever just look down at one point and go, "Seriously, fuck." Um, no, I think <laughs> did that, I make that? I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's really great. It's because I feel that way about other people. You know, yeah. I have, you know, where the Townsend, Richard Thompson, the Ramones, I mean, all the, you know. The, Music is a really strong, it's a strong art form. It, it takes in so many emotions and so many ideas. Yeah. To, to have other people say that I influence their work or influence the way that they look at life, and that's it's sort of a weird responsibility if I want it to be, sure. but I look at it as like, that's really great. It's really, really great. Continuing good lineage and good music. Yeah, yeah. it's it's hot potato, sure. like I said in the book. You know, yeah. we just, you get an idea, you hold on to it, and then you throw it, somebody else catches it. So yeah. it's, it's cool. Well, Bob, it's been a pleasure uh, talking. You, uh, Silver Age, fantastic. So we'll look forward to the next one. Again, that interview back 2013, Bob Mould talking about the Silver Age. The brand new album is called Blue Hearts, due out this September. Do check it out. And again, you can find all these interviews, uh, the video versions, at YouTube. Just type in Kyle Meredith with. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now. Again, podcast forums, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, of course, YouTube. Anywhere you get your favorite podcast from, just type in Kyle Meredith with. Brand new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. After that, head to WFPK. Org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, WFPK.org, 6 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Consequence of Sound, they've got your music and film news. You can also find me on the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Kyle Meredith on all three of those. Hope to see you over there as well. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.
Consequence Podcast Network. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.